asked Jesus, what is the most important thing? He did not say to obey the Lord your God. He said to love Him. Because thereafter, obedience flows. Each thing finds its place. Love. Love Him. Lord, I pray that you'll even open hearts this morning to love again, to sense you near again, to invite you in, to be near and not far, to be personal, not to be corporate with you this morning, our Father. I want you to consider your love with the Lord for another couple of minutes while we just allow the Lord to speak. If He's speaking to the body this morning with the vision or scripture we'll just be patient a little bit but where you are standing will you just keep on speaking to the lord about your love journey with him and pull into him again let's pray in this place to be lovers of our God those who love one another walk together in love they don't perform tasks for one another let us be known as a group of people that loves the Lord our God that our obedience will be drenched in love to the one who lived and died in our place. Help us on this journey. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Welcome everyone. Welcome at church. You are welcome to take your seat. I did... um, said to the band before we started that next week we cannot have the CD playing and them lip syncing next week they must really sing so just please be um, be patient but can we just give these guys a clap for bringing their gifts 
Um, they are not doing it uh, for us. They're doing it for the Lord. All of these people have jobs. They come home late at night. And then when some of us can retire to bed, they need to get to their instruments in order to serve us. What a great example. So we just want to thank you guys for being faithful. Otherwise, you guys would have had myself and Andre sing to you, and the church would be a lot emptier. <laughs> well, we've got Hendrik. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome to be here. I just ask you before we, before I head into this. Uh, last week, I gave a little bit of an intro. We're going to take a couple of weeks, and we're going to speak about some similarities, some lines we can draw between the city of Corinth and Hermanus, and just preach it through in order to help us. Um, it's actually, it's quite crazy to see some of the lines drawn between these two cities. But before I head into it, why don't you just ask the person sitting next to you, what has been three of the things, maybe, for you that, about Hermanus, even if, you, even if you don't live here, if you have a holiday, what has been two or three of the things of Hermanus that has been unique for you? Compared to maybe the previous place that you've lived before. Maybe that's abroad. Maybe it's a different town in South Africa. But what's been quite unique about Hermanus? I'm going to give you a minute or two just to, just to answer that to one another before I go. I think someone said in Bloemfontein, uh, ons het babers gevang en nou vang ons kabel jou. That, that, that is a, that's also different. This morning, it, it, it's going to have a sharp edge. I'm, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to push us a bit, because that's what the first two chapters in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, what it does. We're not going to go through the whole book. It's not the idea. We might just handpick two or three or four passages over the next couple of weeks. But this morning specifically will be um, almost like getting out of the harbor of the book, just setting the stage and, and then landing sharp at the end. I think actually last week, if you, if you like to organize your sermons in little folders and sometimes go back to them, then last week's one on communion was taken out of this book. You can just like drag it into that folder. Uh, it was interesting how these people did community, uh, communion and some of the mistakes they made. And we learn from that. But now we're going on. But we're starting at the beginning. And, and let's do a little bit of a general take. Firstly, sometimes we don't think what we say as humans. Sometimes we um, speak, then we think. Sometimes we speak and we never think. Some of the things we 
someone might say is, you know, with all the mistakes in my church, you know, the band, they sing too long, too short. I like older songs, newer songs, shorter sermons, longer sermons. Why do they have these lights? You know, we should, we should be more organic. I wish I was in a first century church because they, they were pure, focused on the Lord. I mean, Jesus has just left. Uh, we, should, we should go back and be like the church just after Jesus left. Who's heard that before? Just be honest with me. Uh, well, almost all of us that's been in church for longer than one year. I tell you what, not this church. Not the church in Corinth. You don't want to be in that one. These people, they get drunk at communion. They despise their brother that arrives to communion. They are pride of their knowledge. They puffed up. They, there's a man that sleeps with his mother-in-law. The church does not address it. They tolerate it. Carries on. These things are infiltrating the church. They boast in their gifts. Some people will not listen to other people. They'll just stand speaking in tongues for the whole service. It's chaos. Maybe the church you go to, if it's not this one, it's not that bad, okay? One or two other things about Corinth. Well, I can tell you one amazing thing about the church in the, uh, the first century church that is amazing is that it survived by the grace of the Lord. And what we see through the ages is the church always makes it. Uh, sometimes the church gets knocked hard, like through in the dark ages, but God always pre uh, preserves and lifts up his bride again. Isn't that true? Geography and population, one or two things. It was a Greek-style culture under Roman governors. Now, 150 years before Christ, the city was leveled in a war, demolished. And the Romans, they refounded it as a colony about 40 years before Jesus. This city, like Hermanus, located between two seas. Place of commerce, place of entertainment. A lot of feet. People came, people went. Some people stayed. It, it, I would say, you could say, Corinth was probably the Las Vegas of the early church. A lot of people from all over the world coming to experience quite an incredible place. And because it was demolished and almost refounded, you've got almost like you demolish in one sense traditions that took a long time to build and you raise it up, what the people want here and now. It's like a modern city out of nowhere, refounded. Now, if you talk about population, this is staggering. Who knows how many people live in Hermanus right now? How many? 45,000. 45, I looked and I saw 40, but it was a while back. So uh, a couple of years back. So I couldn't give that number because I wasn't sure. But let's double it. Let's say they didn't have a census since all of you guys moved here from Gauteng, all right? And me. Okay. Let's say it doubled, which would be very generous. Let's say 80. Okay. Guess how many people lived in Corinth, ancient city? 500,000 people. 500,000 people. Paul. Okay, Paul, Paul Boyzai, Paul Jim, take a guess. How many people? Under 300,000 people in Paul. All right. If I go to Paul and I need to pick something up, 
GPS, Google Maps. I can't find it. You still have maps in your car. It'll, it'll take you ages. Imagine you need to go to five homes in Paul. Hermann is maybe easier. Got the, you say, when you get to that mountain, Paul, you can't get it without GPS. It's a smaller city than Corinth. Go back 2,000 years, staggering number. These people were cutting edge. Imagine just finding your way around that place. A little bit of background. Some similarities. Hermanus, Corinth, by the sea, you've got that magical feel. Hey, the world is at our feet. The world is coming to our door. They're right here. How many people here in this room that's not from South Africa? Hands up. Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. And even over certain holiday times, a lot more. We've seen people here from all over. The, the States, Germany, Europe, people come here. It's a similarity. The convergence of different types of people and languages. Got it. We've got it. They had it. They were known for the following. Listen up. Gymnasiums, I train myself. Baths, I treat myself. And theaters, I entertain myself. Gymnasiums, baths, theaters. Now, this is where, they, where you'd say, okay, I'd like to go to an early church, uh, early first century, listen up, they had a temple who had more than a thousand temple prostitutes, where you'd go to worship through having sexual intercourse with a, pro- with a prostitute, male and female prostitutes, 1,000. In the city of the center, there was another temple, a temple of healing, where people would make sacrifices in their wish, in their heart, their desire to be healed. And if you ask people to name the three pillars of Corinth, they would say wealth, sex, and idolatry, pagan worship. Okay. Now, if there was a World Cup that this city could win, it would be the World Cup in professional debating, okay? which was called the rhetoric debate or rhetoric announcing skill. These people would get on stages, the town would gather, and you would test your skill in swaying the crowd with your words by knowing your argument well, knowing your audience well, what they love, what they hate, and what they feel when you use certain words. Okay. At one stage, there was a statue put up in Corinth, and the people said, so when's the statue coming? They said, no, this is the statue. It's a platform. They worshipped the art of a man getting on a stage and speaking well. The platform had nothing on. You're talking about a group of smart people, cutting edge, coming in from all over the world. It's a lot like us. They had trained professional speakers, debaters, that would come from towns where their rhetoric was not appreciated. They'd come to Corinth. You would pay to go and listen to them speak. Right. That's very unique. That's our setting, and right there, in the midst of all that, the gospel, the seed of the gospel falls, and it comes up. And we've got a troubling church that needs to learn a lot about who Jesus is, his love, and his way. And we arrive at 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read for us. A little bit in the first passage. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. 
Now I understand that verse. I give thanks for God. How did you do this, Lord? How is it possible the gospel storms into a town? There's a thousand temple prostitutes. There's a temple of healing. You've got these debaters. Yet in it all, the gospel comes in and turns life around. You know what? I give thanks to God. This was him. Him alone. And that if every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we get to some of the problems. Okay? There's a lot. In the book, we're only in the beginning. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you. Now, let me tell you one thing. You put a bunch of smart people in one room, give them all the mic, a stage, and there's one thing you won't have, and that's unity and harmony. The one is smarter than the other. The one knows better than the other. It's crazy. Now the church is being founded in that culture. I appeal to you that you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, brothers. I mean, what I mean is one of you say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he he goes on and he finishes his comments, which one could call a kind of a tribalism. I'm in this tribe, I'm in that tribe. The, the funny thing is, we still have it today, like someone might say, no, I, I'm in this type of church. Someone might say, I'm in that type of church. And then you get people that says, no, I submit to Jesus. No one speak to me exactly the same. <laughs> it's crazy. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, he speaks to his own gift, his own calling. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You understand how staggering that verse is in that culture. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. What he's saying right there, as all the orators, all the wonderful men are getting on their stage to present their gift, Paul is saying, I will not do the same. I will not get up. I will stay low. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand a sign. Here we've got the, the convergence of different types of people. The Greeks, they seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. City to city. How do you open the heart of a city like this? 
how do you open the heart of a city like Corinth, a city like Hermanus? Where do you start? Because I tell you what, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed with a task ahead. You see, we've got a little bit of a problem here, all of us, that's got a heart for the gospel, and that's this building's already full with two services. So we get, we get a sense of we've reached this town, but we've not. We can't give up. When I think of some of the challenges out there in the town, sometimes I get overwhelmed. But I get strengthened because I know the Apostle Paul here is speaking to the same things. How do you open the heart of a city? Just read with me 1 Corinthians. I'm, only get, I'm going to be fast this morning. I'm going to give you three, three things that I want us to focus on. It'll be wisdom for us to take out there, but it needs to also pierce into our own hearts. The Jews demand a sign and the Greeks wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. He says basically the same thing in different words. In 1 Corinthians 2, he just goes over, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So you can see he focuses here on simple preaching. Can you see that? The simple, basic gospel. And it's almost like he's moving away from trying to be too extravagant in his debating, trying to be too extravagant with the way he puts his words together. But there's something we must note here, because it looks like a contradiction, but it's not. It's a dance. In the beginning, before we enter this big debate, look at what Paul writes. We go to that next slide. He says, I give thanks to my God because of you, because the grace of God, was given to you in Christ. Check verse 5. That in every way you were what? You were enriched. That means in him something came to you that, that which was not there. Now you are enriched. In all what? <laughs> Come on. Speech and knowledge. Isn't that interesting? This is the debating World Cup winners of the world. He says, listen, I want, to know, I want you to know one thing. In Christ, you have been given power in knowledge and speech. Then he goes on, he says, but when I come to you, I, I speak in folly, I keep it simple. And it looks like a contradiction. It's not. It's a dance. Follow me here. Or let me say this first. The first thing, how do you open the heart of a city? You give it the simple gospel. That's the first thing. The simple gospel is the cure for knowledge disorder. Are you sick with knowledge? Are you overwhelmed with books and podcasts and YouTube and voices and news and people and babbling in the office? What do you need? The simple gospel. It pulls a crooked line straight. It's like picking up a line with a sinker at the bottom. Wow. It is the simple gospel that pulls straight a confusing world and a confusing heart. If I'm not willing to pick it up, I tend to stay 
in a cluster, in a mess in my heart. Now, let me just explain this a little bit. A magnifying glass, okay, used to look at something, can be likened to some of the gifts the Lord give us. One of these would be you are enriched in all speech and knowledge. And you've got a magnifying glass, normally, except for when you start the fire with it, or burn, or burn ants. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it was verkeerd geweest. It was baie jong. It was baie jong. You use a magnifying glass to put the focus on something on the other side. All right? You look. You look. What Paul is saying here is you've been given gifts. You are enriched. You that are sitting here, goes to work, some incredible people, some smart minds. You've been given what you need. You're enriched by the, by the Lord in speech and knowledge. It is like a magnifying glass. It is a gift. But here's the thing. If we focus on the object on the other side of the magnifying glass, we put that object in focus. Are you with me? If I focus my eyes on the magnifying glass, that which is on the other side will be blurred. And what he's saying is when it comes to the gifts of God, it is not to be looked to, it is to be looked through. I have a gift, I can speak well is what Paul says, I'm rich, but I know I can move this gift. Because it is God that is the focus, it's not my gift. And sometimes what I need to do is I, I need to use my gift in this, sometimes I must put it down. I do not take my gift to home and say, hey, look at my gift. There's something I look to through it. And therefore, I can use it. I can be strong in my gift. I can be silent in my gift. When I can, I can speak. If it's not the time, I'm not like forced. And before I get myself, I'm like moving in my gift. And I'm like, shucks, I shouldn't have. I know how to use it in the context I am in. I can put my gift down. And what happened to the Corinthians is they elevated the gift of speaking or being correct or swaying the crowd as an idol. It was one of the most important things, and Paul would not do the same. He would act dumb with them. And he would say the following, even though he would maybe be able to unpack some of the, listen, this guy was a qualified Pharisee and he had a heart for the Gentiles from the beginning. He knows how to unpack. He says, I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you want to love him and be near to him and you want to be saved, you need to repent of your sins. And then he stepped away. Pick it up. That's what it is. Let me not dress it up too much. And so, in a similar way, we need to ask ourselves, is the simple gospel still ruling in our hearts and in our homes? Is the simple gospel, since a cure, still a cure for our knowledge disorder? When we come together to eat as believers, can we still state the simple gospel there? I'm so glad that Jesus forgave my sins. Is it still on our lips? Because that's how we pierce the town. In love. Sometimes in meekness. Not in arrogance. 
do we still arrive somewhere and just simply state, you know what, this morning I was just reminded again of how much Jesus loves me. Look, I know all of us the last week have watched some incredible or read some incredible material somewhere, but, but can we sometimes just put this down and say, you know what, this morning I remember I'm loved by God. That's why you open the heart of an intellectual city. You say it, and you allow the Spirit to breathe on it. Can I still say, you know what, this week I struggled with some stuff, some sin. Simple. I, I've, I fell this week in this area. Pray with me. I want to be near to him. The simple gospel is the cure for knowledge disorder. That's where Paul started in the city of Corinth. And the gospel was effective. One by one. What about you and what about me? go on now he's carrying on yet among the mature look at this we do impart wisdom although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away but we impart the secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age who understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The second thing, how you open the heart of a city is you, the mature should then grow in godly wisdom. We can go to that next slide. After receiving that which is simple, of to making it a part of our lives, a simple gospel, not taking from it, not dressing it up too much, we should now go and grow thereon, build thereon. Once it is properly received as a foundation, one knows how to build on it. If, it is not, if it's not simply, if it's not properly, if the gospel is received as something it's not, and I start building on it, I will build myself out of the word of God, out of the will of God. If I can receive it for what it is, I can build on it. And I just want to say this, maybe also as a pastor, the simple gospel is confronting. It's, uh, it's bad news and then it's good news. The bad news is you're a sinner. The good news is someone came to live and die in your stead. But it takes a bit of humility to say, I am a sinner and I have to say it before I can receive the love and the grace of a Savior. And so what that means is the Bible answers us academically but also personally. Someone might ask, is this a sin? And, and the Bible might have an opinion on it. Say, and the answer is yes or no, but you might be asking a personal question, which is, I am struggling with this thing. And so the answer comes with love, even though it should be clear. 
someone might say, how do I answer? What is, what is the cure? What, is, what does the Bible have to give for someone that just lost a loved one? And the answer, the academic answer might be, the answer is that God will carry that family with his love and grace. I'm just giving an example. But when that person sits right there, part of your answer is silence and tears and care and love. And then the Lord comes and he leads with his grace and guidance. And so what I want to say is if you are new around here, you're new around church, you're looking, you hear about sin, about stuff, and you feel overwhelmed, move from hearing to discussing one-on-one. Come see someone. Come talk. Come ask. Come as a person so that you can experience God's love for you and his guidance. Does that make sense? The mature should grow in godly wisdom. How do we do this? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, it's the Holy Spirit, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received the Spirit, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The third thing we do is the Spirit's, the Spirit opens the deep end of the heart of the city. It is the Holy Spirit that goes to work and shows and reveals and takes us deep. And I, and I want to I spend a little bit of time on this. The Holy Spirit gives God's people a knowledge, a wisdom, an insight, which is not accessible to those who do not have the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you what. The Holy Spirit leads us deep into the heart of God. And it's sometimes conflicting. Hear me out. The Holy Spirit might lead you to make a great sale at work. The Holy Spirit can help you with that because he helps you to be honest, generous, and kind. And people want to buy from people that's honest, generous, and kind. All right. So the Holy Spirit can help you. you. agree with me? And so he can help you make an income. He will also lead you to give and be generous to the church and to other people. He's going to help you earn, but he's going to challenge you to be generous. That is a knowledge that does not find its form in the world. It is from the Lord. And so it looks like he's working against himself. No, he is shaping you into the image of Christ. He's helping you. Then he is leading you. On the one side, the Holy Spirit helps you to make friends as you engage, as you care for people. But then sometimes a friend of you might be on the verge of making a terrible decision and now the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to confront your friend. You see, this is by the Spirit. You can't find this in books, like what to do in every moment. It is the Holy Spirit that leads God's people in a town to act on His behalf in love. And so He leads you. So on the one side, it helps you to make friends. On the other side, you might be the only one that's willing to confront that friend. And for a moment, you might be very unpopular. Pray for wisdom. Obey the Lord. 
On the one side, the Holy Spirit helps you to grow in His fruit, and you get a, you, you get a beautiful character, and you find yourself with a good name in the town, and, and people might trust you, and you get a great opportunity, a great opportunity because of the work that the Lord has done in your life. And then God says, don't take that opportunity. You see, the Holy Spirit leads God's people in wondrous ways. And He's inviting you. How do you open the heart of a city? You start with a simple gospel. You grow in that. And you open your heart to the Holy Spirit. You say, speak, lead, guide me. How are you doing this morning in our wonderful yet complex city? Are you still taking the simple gospel to heart? Don't add to that. Don't take away. It is what it is and so it will remain. Let us confirm to it. Amen. Are you still giving yourself for growth in the Lord? Are you still growing? What are you doing to grow? Are you still open for the voice of the Holy Spirit? Even if, even if his promptings might for a moment sense like this is counterproductive. I worked the whole year to get here. Are you asking me not to take this but this or not to hold on to this but be, be generous here? Like, trust him. Love the Lord your God. He's on your team and he's leading you to represent him in our wonderful and complex town. And maybe for a moment this morning, I want to actually give us enough time, maybe three or four minutes, just to, just to look and think about 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and just let it minister to you. For some of you, you'll get answers here. Some of you maybe here have not spoken to a sibling or to a parent. What do you do? It might seem complex. Just exercise the simple gospel. Forgive. Just do it. You are stuck there until you obey. Say that you are sorry or forgive you might be stuck in a situation you find yourself there every year how about allowing the Lord to grow you this year how about growing in strength in the Lord how about taking steps in your faith how about committing to whatever the Holy Spirit I'm not pushing for anything here we've got nothing to announce I'm ministering into your heart what is it where you can grow? How, how about stepping? How about growing? How about trusting the Holy Spirit? I mean, so many times you, you thought you've heard him. Go to someone, pray. If it's, if it's not against Scripture and it seems to be helping, maybe take a step of faith and obey. Obey him. You see tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, he speaks again. He speaks again. What do you have? Intimacy with the Lord. Where do you want to focus this morning? Let's, let's just pray for a while. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will 
minister in every seat. I want to thank you and honor you, Lord, for opening the hearts of the people in this room, in, in this complex and wonderful town. You have started a journey. And, and I want to say along with Paul, Lord, we just want to give you all the glory that the gospel have effectively touched the hearts of so many people. We are grateful. Yes, there's many out there, but we're also grateful for what you have already done. Now grow and walk, Lord, with each one of your people according to your wisdom. Let's open our hearts for the Lord. What is the Holy Spirit whispering to you this morning? I'm not going to call you forward. There's no altar call. Will you speak back to him what you hear him say? Say, Lord, I think I'm hearing you say, what is that? Speak it. time together we honor you amen we're going to be in front um, I just feel to just invite anyone who wants if you sense like you're really struggling to hear the voice of the Lord someone would like just to pray with you just to love you in that way take your hand just pray over you um, also if you feel under pressure and you don't see the way out we just love to pray with you minister to you and love you in that way See you, see you soon for uh, the rest of our journey on 1 Corinthians. You're welcome to grab a cup of coffee or tea. God bless.